Worship with a comfort zone. That's kind of my favorite thing there. Um, your comfort zone. If, if you, um, are looking for worship with a comfort zone, then this series that we're in called Right Now is not for you because we're not going to be very comfortable. Uh, look at this quote that's on the screen. We make our decisions and then our decisions make us. Agree or disagree? Agree. Some of you agree. When God, uh, created humans, He gave us he did something kind of risky. He gave us free choice. Bucketheads like you and me with free choice is a dangerous combination. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad choices. Some decisions we like, some decisions we regret. And um, today we're going to look at ways to make decisions. We're looking at the book of James for the next several weeks. And we're, James is like, Proverbs is the wisdom book of the Old Testament. James is the wisdom practical book of the New Testament. James is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with blue jeans on. And, and I love the book of James. It's just so practical. So what we're going to do is, you know, back in August, we talked about the best question ever. Anybody remember the best question ever? I'm so glad that y'all remember that we spent a month on this. Here's the, here's the best question ever. What is the wise thing to do? We looked at all kinds of different ways to apply this question to our lives. Uh, considering my past, whatever you have weaknesses in, whatever you've been through relationally, consider my past, what is the wise thing to do? Considering my present circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? Considering my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Today we're going to take this whole wisdom thing a step further and we're going to tell you what James says, or James is going to explain to you what he says about how to make wise choices and some things that you need to do. Because James is going to describe for us an illness that is rampant in America today. Now, don't ever say, don't you dare say that the Bible is not practical, that the Bible doesn't speak to today. It's just written for old times. Because I think you're going to see when, when James identifies this illness, I think you're going to see that it is rampant today. So if it's rampant today, this was relevant back in biblical times when James wrote it. It is relevant today um, in the times that we're living. And, and here's the illness. The illness is indecision. Now let's look at what James has to say about this illness, indecision. James 1, 7, and 8. If you have your Bibles, you can just stay in James chapter 1 because we're going to camp out there. It says, such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time and they cannot decide about anything they do. Now the original language that the New Testament was written in was Greek. And in the Greek, this word for um, doubters who think two different things at the same time is actually double-minded. Double-minded literally means two-souled. It means you are pulled two directions at once. There's all this indecisiveness. You have two different uh, priorities, two different loyalties. You're going different directions at the same time. And probably everybody here at some time in their life has felt like they were pulled in two directions. You didn't know what to do. And if you've never felt like that, you've certainly been around other people who have felt like that. So if this doesn't apply to you, listen up and then help them the other people who need this, the two-souled people, the, the divided loyalties people, help them make wise decisions in the future. Now, the Bible tells us that if you look at the New American Standard, it says that this is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the, and the word for unstable means like a drunk. Someone stumbling around in the dr uh, like a drunk person. Stumbling around, whether it's light or dark, doesn't matter. If you're drunk and you're stumb stumbling around, you are unstable. And the Bible says if you're double-minded, if you're this two-souled person, then you're unstable, not just walking, you are unstable in all your ways. And I want to look at three specific ways that indecision leads to instability in your life. The first 
uh, way is you are unstable uh, in your emotions. Emotionally, you're a wreck. James 1, 6b. And by the way, if you ever see letters after the, the Bible verses, that means like letter A would be the first half of James 1, 6. Letter B would be the second half of James 1, 6. And if you got three, if you got A, B, and C, that means there's, there's several sections that are broken up into. But right now we're going to look at the second half of James 1, 6. And it says, anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown up and down by the wind. If you've ever been in the ocean, you learn very quickly not to trust waves. Why is that? They're unpredictable. I did a baptism in, in the ocean years ago in, in my youth group. We had youth camp down on the coast, and I did this baptism, and it was kind of funny because the first couple of people I, I baptized, I would mistime the wave. And, and you know, we were, in, we were in waist-deep water when the wave hit, but then when it would go down, we were in ankle-deep water. you got to go way down there to baptize somebody in ankle-deep water or wait until the next wave comes. But then the really bad thing happened because I have my back. All of the people are up on the, on the shore. I have my back to the ocean. And, and, you know, you see concern on their faces. <laughs> I baptized myself. It's the only time I've ever baptized myself when that big wave came and hit us. You turn your back on waves and you will get knocked down because they are unpredictable. And if you know anybody who's indecisive, they cannot make up their mind. They are unstable emotionally. They struggle to sleep at night. There's all of this instability because they just don't know what to do. Or if they make a decision, they don't know if it's the right decision. So you are unstable. If you're double-minded, if you don't know who you're going to follow, if you don't know who's in charge in your life, if you don't know which decision to make, you're unstable emotionally, and it will affect everybody around you. And, and so that's the second way that you're unstable is relationally. Unstable relationships. <clears throat> Lack of commitment destroys marriages. If you can't decide if you want in or out, if you can't commit, that's actually an indication of immaturity. Lack of commitment destroys friendships. It destroys churches, businesses. When you are a, a parent and you say, you say one thing to your child and then 10 minutes later you say a different thing to your child, it creates confusion for your kids. You tell your kids not to lie and then somebody comes to the door and, and, and you say, tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm in the bathtub. There was a kid, the mom actually did that. She said, tell them I'm not here. And, and so somebody knocks on the door and, he says, yeah, who is it? And he tells him, and he says, I'm here to see your mom. He said, well, um, we ain't got no bathtub, but mom said to tell you she's in it. It's worth a try. <clears throat> if you do that long enough, if you lie to your children or you tell your kids not to lie and then you lie, if, you, if you're inconsistent, if you're unstable in, in how you treat them and how you uh, try to raise them, Eventually, they're going to tune you out. Do it long enough, they will tune you out. You'll become irrelevant in their lives because they don't want to follow somebody who's, who's indecisive, who cannot make up their mind, or who wants them to follow one set of rules and they're not willing to follow the same set of rules. Now, if you want instability, keep changing jobs. Keep changing boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses or churches. You just keep shuffling around, and that will create instability in your relationships every time. Now, there's a third thing, and this is really where we are looking at today. It makes you unstable in your spiritual life. <clears throat> Excuse me. James 1.7 says, they. Now, who is they? This is the unstable, two-souled, doubting people who are blown and tossed by the wind. They. They should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. Indecision actually blocks your prayer life. Indecision keeps God from giving you what He wants to give you, what He has to offer. 
And some people say, why is God not answering my prayer? Well, maybe it's because you've been praying for your will and not for God's will. Maybe you've not been very specific in your prayer concerns. Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you're rebellious. God is not obligated to answer the prayers of a disobedient person. God does not work that way. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, pour out his blessings on someone who is blatantly disobedient. Now, in the book Pilgrim's Progress, I don't know if you've read it, probably everybody's heard of it, there is a character named Mr. Facing Both Ways. And this, this is a kind of a, a classic example of someone who is double-minded, who is two-souled. And I think we actually have a picture of, of Mr. Facing Both Ways. Do we have that picture? <clears throat> I'd say that's an illness right there. Wouldn't you? Because which way are you going to go? I'm not sure. That's good. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate you being willing to, to help us out here. This is a person who wants to do their will and God's will at the same time. This is the person, the worship one half. God, I'll give you some of my life. I surrender some of my life. I'll surrender some of this. And God says, no, it, with me, God says, with me, it's all or nothing. You don't get to do that. The Bible tells us you can't be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus said you'll love one and hate the other. You cannot do it. It is an impossibility. And you'll create all kinds of instability in your life. Now, if this is the illness, if you're sick, what do you want? You know, <laughs> you want a prescription, right? And, and there is a prescription. This last week, something happened to me that... Um, Reminded me of my niece years ago. She's, she's out of college and she's done some graduate stuff. And, and anyway, this reminded me of her when she was 18 months old. Now, 18 months, they're not really able to communicate real well. Um, 18 months old, the children are very good at being self-centered. And, you know, you, you want to make them happy. You want to discipline them, but you want to make them happy. Well, my niece was, you know, running around the house and for a while, there, was, there were some really strange things that were happening, and we, we didn't understand them. Uh, I would see my brother. I'd talk to him on the phone. He said, man, this is the craziest thing. She would be playing happily. She could be walking around the house playing happily. She could be playing with her toys. She could have a bottle. Just all of a sudden, like a light sl uh, switch flip, she would start wailing, bloody murder. Wah! Wah! And you're like, man, this kid's psycho. There's a demon. Cast it out, you know. We didn't know what was going on. So we started praying and, and my brother started talking to people and they took her to the doctor, finally figured out she was constipated. And, you know, a little 18 month old cannot, cannot, um, communicate well to you. So she felt an urge to go to the bathroom. The urge quickly went up to the brain and this is a bad urge. So she started screaming because it was going to hurt. This last week I had a bladder infection and, uh, I, I had all of the over-the-counter um, remedies. I drank like a bucket of cranberry juice. And all it did was make the problem worse. I had to go to the bathroom all the time. And uh, I, I went to the pharmacist after the second day. After after one sleepless night, I went to the pharmacist, you know, because I, I was like, ah, cranberry juice, that'll fix it. It didn't fix it. And so I was in a lot of pain, and I went to the pharmacist at, at Walgreens, and I said, hey, man, I said, you know, you got anything over the counter for a bladder infection? And he goes, not that it'll fix it. It'll just mask the symptoms. And I'm like, dude, I'll take any masking you got. 
So he said, go get this. And he said, but if you have a severe infection, you will have to have antibiotics. I'm thinking, man, if this would just take the pain away, I'll, I'll endure. Well, um, the reason I thought of my niece is because all that second night, every 20 to 30 minutes, I wanted to cry. I don't want to go to the bathroom. I, I was running to the bathroom and just hurting. And I had no qualms about going to the doctor the next morning. I called my doctor. He's out of town. I went to the walk-in clinic. You have, you have an appointment? No, but I'll stay as long as you'll have me. I've got to see a doctor. What's the problem? Bladder infection. They kind of snicker, you know. I guess guys don't get that very often, but I'm like, I'm in pain. I wanted a prescription. That's the whole point of that story. I'm working hard here. Got my prescription. I'm five days into my prescription, and five days in, Prescriptions are good things. They are our friends. Um, if, if indecision is the illness that we're talking about today, does the Bible have a prescription? Well, sure it does, or we wouldn't be going down this road. Here's the prescription. Get wisdom. All right, so we're going, what, that's it, all of this buildup? Hang on. James 1.5 says, and this is your memory verse, if you need wisdom... If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him and He will gladly tell you. Now, James is just full of practical wisdom. Uh, application is, is what we need of, of, of God's Word. So here's the first thing. He says you need to do three things if you want God's wisdom. Number one, admit your need. If you need wisdom. Sounds kind of like a sarcastic tone to me. We can't, we can't for sure know because I don't know James. I'll, I'll get to know him in heaven someday. But I just reading this, well, if you need wisdom, I mean, it's, it's like my dad going, well, if you do that, you're stupid, you know, cause, and he's right, but I didn't want to hear it. And James is like, well, if, do you know anybody that doesn't need wisdom? Anyone doesn't need wisdom? We all need wisdom. So there's a little bit of sarcasm going here in James. And this is really interesting because right before this, if you read uh, verses uh, 3 and 4, you'll see that James is talking about trials. And he says when trials come into our lives, you know, we should consider it all joy. And I'm like, I'm not joyful when trials come. But the Bible says consider it all joy because you know that trials produce endurance. And so trials bring about something that's good. And let me just say this. Some of you have talked to me and you've told me about the troubles that you're having. Now, here's what you got to figure out. There's three possibilities if you're having trouble. If you're suffering right now, there's three possibilities. Number one is some of my suffering is caused by my choices to sin. If I choose to do drugs and I get caught, I'm going to jail. That's the consequences of my sin. If I choose to... Um, uh, to commit adultery, it will eventually come out and I will have to suffer the consequences of my sin. That means the hard times I'm going through, I have directly contributed to by my bad choices. So if that's why you're suffering, the Bible tells us very clearly that what you're supposed to do is confess that sin receive God's forgiveness. And you probably even need to, we'll see later in the book of James, you confess to one another and pray for one another so that you're healed. So you confess to God, yes, but you may need to have a, a group of guys or girls, same sex, that, that you can spill your heart to that will pray for you so that you'll be healed. So if, if the, if it's your sin, then you, you confess it and receive forgiveness. But there's also a second type of suffering that comes from the sins of others. 
uh, people decide to drive drunk and, and they hit someone. They cause severe suffering in that family if they kill someone. Um, someone robs your house or someone, you know, attacks you. There are all kinds of things that the choices of others have all kinds of impact on innocent bystanders. It's not fair. None of life is fair. So we just got to figure out what does the Bible say to do about it if we're attacked or if our suffering is because of the sins of others. There's a very clear prescription for that. That is forgive. The Bible says it over and over. Forgive. In, in the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that we're supposed to pray, God, forgive us as we forgive others. So there's a very clear instruction. If you've been hurt by the sins of others, you're supposed to forgive. Otherwise, you're the one chained to the past, not the person you're ticked off at. So either it's your sin or someone else's sin. But there's a third possibility, and it talks about it in James. And it says there are certain situations God brings into your life to grow you up. If you've asked the questions, the hard questions, is it my sin and and it's not your sin, and you talk to some people who know you well, is it my sin causing my suffering? If, if you, people you trust who are, who are farther along spiritually than you are, say, no, I, I don't see you sinning. And if you go before God and you know you're not sinning, then you can check that one off. And, and if you look around and, and as you examine your life and you look back at, at your past and you see that your pain is not because someone else has committed sin against you, then the third possibility is that maybe God wants to grow you up. Maybe God, see, God loves you where you are, but He loves you way too much to leave you where you are. Immaturity is the biggest problem I deal with in marriages. Immaturity is the biggest problem I deal with in any relationship, in anything in the church. The biggest problem is immaturity. And sometimes God just wants to grow you up. So we got to figure out which kind of trouble that, that James is talking about. And we just told you how to do that. And then what God wants to do, though, here's where you pray for wisdom. You say, God, give me the wisdom... Not to waste this opportunity. If it's not my sin and it's not someone else's sin, then it's an opportunity for me to look more like Christ. Give me the wisdom not to waste this opportunity that's in front of me. Too many of us just ignore God's God's uh, provisions and, and His Word and we just simply whine and complain about life. Now, admitting our uh, need is the pathway to God's power. Look at Proverbs 11.2. Pride leads to disgrace... But with humility comes wisdom. A fool, the Bible says, refuses to ask for help. A fool says, I can do it by myself. That's a prescription for failure. Doing it alone, that's a prescription for failure. But if you're humble and admit your need, God will, will graciously, overabundantly supply what you need, especially when we're talking about wisdom. If you uh, are full of yourself, there's no room for God. If you know everything already, why would God try to teach you something new? Because you know it all already. But if you humbly admit, then God will come to you. So you say, God, this one's beyond me. I need your help. And the Bible says God will gladly grant your request. The second thing you need to do is ask for wisdom. James 1.5, going back to that. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him. How did, how did the people in your world get wisdom? By listening to Oprah? The all-wise one. Is there a government program for wisdom? Sorry, that just sounds like an oxymoron. Is there a wisdom pill? (laughs) We wish. We would take out lots of prescriptions for our friends, right? And the family members. The Bible says you get wisdom by asking God. 
Proverbs 2.6 says, It is the Lord who gives wisdom. From Him come knowledge and understanding. God is the source of wisdom. Now, I'm willing to bet the reason that you are in the trouble that you are in, if you're in trouble now or if you just come out, you, you examine your life and you look back at the trouble, I'm willing to bet most of the time the trouble that we get in is because we refuse to ask God in the first place. Or if we ask God, we didn't do what He said. And so we're in all kinds of trouble. Look at uh, Proverbs 4, 7. Bible says this over and over. Wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding. 20 times in the New Testament it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. But you gotta, you got to give up your uh, pride in order to do that. The original word for ask means keep on asking. Ask continually. Keep on asking. If you have children, you understand what it means to keep on asking continually. Well, the Bible says keep on asking God, especially when it comes to wisdom. He's not going to run out. (laughs) You and I do. Whacked my finger with a machete yesterday. That was pretty wise. Luckily, it wasn't sharp. (laughs) So I hit my finger and I just, just, Caleb was behind me. I said, ah! And I really, I expected to see my finger rolling around on the ground. I mean, I hit it that hard. It wasn't intentional, obviously. Um, <laughs> maybe it was. Um, but luckily it was really, really dull, wasn't it? It bled a little bit, but really it was just a big knot on, on my finger because I just wasn't very wise. So you keep on asking. You ask God for wisdom, and the Bible says that He will give it to you. He calls me, and, and this happens a lot. People call and they say, hey, can, can I talk to you? Can, can I get together with you? Uh, couples all the time saying, hey, we're struggling. Can, can we talk to you? Every time, as soon as I hang up the phone, I start saying, God, I don't have a clue what they need to hear. I don't know what they want to talk to me about. I need wisdom. Because really, you don't need my opinion. I know that's right, baby. You don't need my opinion. If, if I'm talking to you, you need, you need God's opinion. And the only way anybody ever gets God's opinion is to ask God for wisdom. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ, but we don't use it because we don't ask God for wisdom. Um, the third thing is expect an answer. So you admit your need, you ask for help, and then you expect an answer. James 1.6. But when you ask Him, be sure that you really expect Him to answer. The answer from God depends on the assurance in God. The Bible says, don't be unstable in your expectations. Don't pray and say, oh yeah, I'm praying, but God's just not answering. Now this is not, you know, saying if you pray, God will put a Porsche in your uh, driveway. I am not advocating that. Um, I think Wes had a Porsche. But I don't think that was an answer to prayer. Um, we won't go there. That's not what I'm saying. If you pray in accordance with God's will, He always answers that prayer. Most of the time when God says no to you, it's either because you are so far out of God's will that you wouldn't recognize it if you saw it in what you're wanting to do, or it's not the best thing for you. God doesn't want good for you. God wants best for you. And so if he says no, there is a reason. There's a positive behind it. Every time he says no, there's positive of he wants to protect you from something. He doesn't have to tell you what. He's God. And he wants to provide for you. Premarital sex, the reason God says do not have premarital sex is to protect you for your marriage, protect you from emotional junk, emotional instability. 
God wants to provide for you in your marriage for emotional stability. He also wants to protect you from sexual diseases. Come on, do the math. When God says no, there's always positives behind it. Always. Expect Him to answer. So if you want an answer from God, you first have to ask the right way. You ask the right person, then you ask the right way. So it doesn't mean that you get anything you want. Now you remember the story of Peter is in Matthew 14. This is right after Jesus has fed the 5,000. You know, with with just a couple uh, fish and a few loaves of bread. He feeds the 5,000. Everybody's, oh, he's great because he can feed us. We're hungry and he fed us out of nothing. And so Jesus tells the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he goes up at first, he dismisses the crowd, and then he goes up on the mountainside to pray. And, and when Jesus prayed, he prayed. And so late, late in the night, he decides to go to the other side. And he's gonna, he's just gonna pass the disciples by. There's this storm coming up, and, and the disciples have only made it halfway across this, the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is just, you know, God's son, he's just walking on water. And, uh, these fishermen had never seen that. So they thought it was a ghost. Ah! And they cry out, ah, a ghost! And Jesus is like, no, chill, it's me. And, and Peter, Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to walk you on the water. I'm sure the rest of the guys are going, you dork. And so Jesus, and this is a Washburn translation, says, come on, dude. So Peter hops out the boat, starts walking on water. How cool is that? And then he made a critical mistake. He believed God until what? He took his eyes off of God and said, I'm in some deep stuff here. And he starts looking at the waves. What happens as soon as he takes his eyes off the Lord? What happens? He begins to sink. And that's the same for you. You've got to keep your eyes on God. And I got to tell you that um, when we were building this building, the volunteer Christian builders, the, the guy who headed that up, stopped by here on Friday, Saturday, Friday. And... uh there was a ladder that they had left. We'd been using their ladder free for six months. And that's what they told us to do. They said, just use it like it's yours. I said, okay. And so I had this stored back in my office and, and he calls me. Uh, Don Jacobs says he calls me. He says, hey, we're coming through town. I wondered if I could pick up Brother Leon's ladder. I said, yeah, I got it right there. No, no big deal. And I forgot the condition of the building when they were here. They were here back in March, end of February and 1st of March. And so they come and I said, hey. And the first thing his wife said was, little better color on the outside because it was like turquoise and faded aqua foam green. I don't know. There was all kinds of trash looking colors out there. And she said, nice, nice color. They walked in at, back here in the living room and they just stopped and, and they actually lost their breath. And as we were walking around, Miss Louise started weeping. She said, this is incredible. Because when they were here, they just finished putting up the sheetrock. No floors, no nothing. And we still had to do some tape and bed. It was, it was bad. But let me tell you something. I, I was thinking about this. A month after they left, long about the 1st of April, I took my eyes off the Lord and I sank when it comes to this building. I lost it. I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, I can't do it. I'm done. We are never getting in the building. Never. And I wept the rest of that night. Got up the next morning and, and Janie didn't know it. The kids were still asleep and, and, uh, I just, I was freaked out. I said, we can't do it, Lord. Just can't do it. 
So I called a friend of mine, and he dropped everything, came up here. We sat out there, what's now the living room. And he helped me have some perspective. And he said, we can do this. God's help, we can do this. And just just having somebody say, remind me that it's not my job to do it, it was God's. We moved in here May 4th. So six months ago, very, very similar situation. God, give us a building. I've been praying for six years. God, give us a building. Give us a building. Give us a, please give us a building. God, are you going to give us a building? Hello, God, are you going to give us a building? He gave us a building. And, and by the way, when, whenever God asks you to do something in faith, Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. You got to get out of the boat to show faith. Buying this building was a step of faith. Working on this building was a step of faith. And so sometimes you got to take a step out of the boat. But have a clue and keep your eyes on God. Or you will sink every time. I can tell you all kinds of stories about sinking. Some of you have huge decisions to make this week. And the reason you do not have wisdom is because you have not asked God to provide that wisdom. When you look at the size of your problem, you sink. When you look at the size of your God, then you soar. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him and He will gladly tell you. So here's the promise. We got the illness. We got the prescription. Here's the promise. God will answer. I told you that we're supposed to keep on asking. Well, the, the companion to that is that God will keep on answering. God will give you answers of wisdom continually if you will continually ask. Where do you need wisdom right now? What is that big decision? Is it a career? Is it a relationship? Is it marriage? Is it church membership? Is it kids? Is it an investment? <laughs> Everybody needs wisdom there. It's interesting that in James... If you keep reading verses 9 through 11, of all the different subjects he could have talked about, about how we apply wisdom, of all of those different ways, you know what he chose to talk about? Money. Because we are more unstable with money than any other subject. We make more boneheaded decisions about money than any other topic you can come up with. And, and really, the, the whole principle that James is trying to say is, if you've got a lot, it's from God. If you don't have a lot, it's from God. Be thankful because money is temporary. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. You need to exchange some of that temporary so that you can have something in heaven, some permanent. So when you do that, it, it, it builds up treasures in heaven. But there's a couple of things that, that you need to know um, about about James's talk on decisions. There's two things, and I didn't put these on your listening guide. Two things that, that James wants you to know about decision making. Number one is, God does not want to make the decision for you. That keeps you as an infant. God will give you wisdom, but He wants you to make the decision so you grow up. And the second thing is, God's wisdom is found in God's Word. Psalm 119, 105, one of my favorite verses says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Oops, didn't mean. In the New Testament, I just learned this this week. Now, these are really cool. These are my hunting things. They, they actually go on the bill of your cap. But here's the thing. In the New Testament, they didn't have energizer bunnies, you know, the, the batteries that, that never go out, supposedly. 
what they would do at night in order to see the path, literally, they would have these little lamps that the oil would not slosh out of, little bitty ones that they could put on their feet and they would tie them on their feet so that they could see just enough to take the next step. So very literally, when it says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp, is a light for my feet, is a lamp for my path. Very literally, it was saying, God, light my next step. And here's the thing. It's not one of those super-duper high beams, you know, that you put outside of movie premieres that you can see forever. It's just enough light for the next step. God doesn't tell you about 20 years down the road because God knows that would that would ruin you because you're going to turn your back on it. If He told you where you're going to be 10 years from now, you'd turn your back on Him. You wouldn't need Him. So God gives you just enough light for that decision. And so you go back to God and you continually ask Him, okay, God, next decision. And I'm telling you, God does, He's not late about His answers. There's so many of you have told me, I was praying, I was praying, I was praying, I was praying, and I needed to make a decision. And right at the last minute, no, at just the right minute, God gave you an answer. He's waiting to see if you're going to trust Him. He's waiting to see if you really believe He's going to answer. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. The quality of your life is going to be determined by the decisions you make today and in the future. James is saying that when we don't trust God, it produces a lifestyle of instability. That doesn't help anybody. And you know, when, when, uh, when you think about your life, the cause of, the cause of your struggle the cause of all the frustration is not really your indecision over your job or your, your spouse or your relationships. It goes deeper than that. The bottom line is the instability in your life comes from not trusting God. So I want to take just a minute and I want to talk to you about the best decision you could ever make. The number one choice in your life is who is going to be boss in your life. And if you've chosen for any amount of time, which the Bible says all of us have, to be boss in your own life, where'd that get you? That get you a life of peace and serenity? Probably not. Probably turmoil. Probably regret, guilt, pain. The Bible says if you will trust God, His Word will be a light into your path and a lamp for you. So the best decision you could ever make is to say, God, I need you in my life as boss. So I want you just to bow your heads for just a second. If you would be willing to pray a prayer, and this could be for somebody who's already a Christian who has relied on their own wisdom as well, but some of you are not followers of Christ. And this could be the most important decision you'll ever make. Would you be willing to pray this prayer just silently in your mind? Lord, you call the shots. Lord, you be boss. Just pray that silently in your mind. And then pray something like, God, I'm going to check in with you on a regular basis. You guide my life. I need wisdom. 
And I'd like to find out the purpose for which I was created. You see, Jesus Christ came to teach us some things. Some of those things are, you're not here by accident. You have meaning. Your life has meaning. But it's only going to be found by following God. God loves you and He puts you on this planet for a reason. The Bible says that the problem is sin. You and I have been boss in our own lives and we've turned our backs on God and we've walked away from Him. So Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to provide a way back to God. The blood that He shed on the cross covers the sins of those people who ask for forgiveness. So if you're willing to pray that prayer and you say, Lord, I want you to be boss. Jesus, I want you to be boss. The Bible says that your sins are forgiven and you're adopted into God's family. And if you make that decision, if you put Jesus Christ first in your life, I guarantee it will produce stability. And as you lean on Him moment by moment, you'll find wisdom. You need to know the wise thing to do? Rely on God moment by moment.